If you were suddenly in a position to replace yourself, how would you go about doing it so that nobody needed to lose a step? Meister Level Leader facilitators Mark L. Vincent and Linda Milanowski westorp make this a subject hard to postpone or ignore in this episode of the Third Turn Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Third Turn Podcast. Linda Milanowski-Westorp is joining me today as a co-host, and we're going to have a conversation together. Kristen Evenson and I have done a number of these over a number of Third Turn Podcast episodes. And Linda, I think this is the first time you and I are doing this, and I couldn't be happier because it lets me pick your brain in an area where you have extremely deep expertise. Well, thank you, Mark. It is great to be here with you on this first time together. This happens to be one of my favorite topics and spans all three turns of my career. Well, let's name what the subject is so people aren't wondering anymore. People who live in the C-suite have to prepare others who will follow after them. And you've been deeply engaged in that kind of leadership succession and leadership development work. And I would like to just set the stage by each of us describing our backgrounds with this uh, a little bit, especially with your experience at Herman Miller. I'll go ahead and start and then um, invite you to go next. But for myself, I've worked at leadership development and especially executive leadership recruitment and development since the 1990s. And I could draw on a lot of stories as a result, but there's really only one that is just front and center for me. And that was watching my wife, Lori, who was the CFO of our company and watching her prepare for her own succession in the last months of her life, literally sitting in a hospice bed, walking through the new financial people through what our course of actions were across the month, really downloading her brain into other people. And after that, I don't need any more illustrations of how important continuity and succession is in order to maintain current, let alone to build future value. Linda, your experience eclipses my own with a number of things that you've done. What would be some of your background with this? I had the privilege of working and learning in a furniture design and manufacturing organization now known as Miller Knoll for over 30 years. And my career spanned from administration and finance, people services, change leadership, and then both people development and product design and development. And what I've learned to appreciate is not only the functional breadth, but also that the experience has spanned in scale from a subsidiary startup to a global corporate department, to business turnarounds and integration of acquired companies. And after leaving Miller Knoll at the start of the pandemic, I joined Design Group International as a senior process consultant, working alongside leaders to co-develop their way forward through transformation. And throughout all of these experiences, I engaged leadership and coaching skills often in the moment and with direct impact when I moved from the centralized HR area back into the business. One of my favorite experiences that I think speaks directly to your question is We had the opportunity to jumpstart leadership succession planning and development after an economic downturn slowly eroded what had been a very robust leadership development offering down to almost nothing. Thanks to our founder's son and CEO, Max Dupree, and his books, Leadership is an Art and Leadership Jazz, 
we at that time had a much stronger external reputation for leadership development than the current reality. And it was important for us to name that and quickly go about rebuilding, starting with the identification and development of high potential leaders. Our focus was really on developing that next level of leaders that would be the feeder organization to the C-suite. Well, after that long career of doing it inside organizations or B-side organizations, and now with your movement to Design Group International as a senior consultant, you've been more recently giving time to younger leaders through a program at Hope College. We've talked about that a little bit, but I'd like you to tell us about that and how it's even more growing your understanding of what matters in developing a leadership mindset. I loved this question, Mark. Two themes I think of as important to developing a leadership mindset. One is the importance, we cannot underestimate the importance of ongoing feedback and continuously understanding and creating more self-awareness in how others experience us in our leadership capacity. Secondly, leadership as a journey. One, as we both know, one never arrives. It is a long-term commitment to development. And so my work with Hope College stems from that time at Herman Miller in leadership development, where we engaged a series called the Leadership Challenge by James Kuzis and Barry Posner. And when Doug Ruck, the Director for Center of Leadership at Hope College, reached out, his goal was to engage leadership minor students in understanding their current skills in leadership and create an actionable personal development plan. And both myself and another local HR executive independently recommended the student version of the Leadership Challenge. Both of us had engaged it in our respective corporations, and the research had since expanded to high school and college students. So the five practices of leadership in the Leadership Challenge have actually proven to be timeless with the terminology in the behaviors minimally updated in student language. The accompanying 360 Leadership Practices Inventory Assessment is unique in that it doesn't ask whether the leader is proficient in a particular area. Rather, it asks how frequently do you view this leader engage in the 30 behaviors that are proven to result in building effective leadership with exemplary results. Briefly, the five practices with their accompanying behaviors are measurable, teachable, and learnable. They're called model the way, inspire a shared vision, challenge the process, enable others to act, and encourage the heart. And it's a refreshing approach as the development focuses in on 30 very doable behaviors. I advise the students to have the list of behaviors in front of them and glance over them regularly to remind ourselves to continuously practice them. And secondly, to periodically repeat the assessment with their observers. What's been really fun to see in the students is the LPI, it's called, is often their first experience gaining self-awareness in their leadership behaviors in that they rate themselves and then they ask seven people to also rate them and they see their, rela- their scores compared to the composite scores of the seven people. First of all, they're thrilled to learn that leadership is a set of learned behaviors. When they rate themselves higher than their observers, it's often a surprise. Yet I encourage them to realize that sometimes we don't verbalize everything we're thinking. And often this is hard for them to hear in practices such as encourage the heart and enabling others to act. They think of themselves as very helpful in those areas. 
When they rated themselves lower than their observers, they're often very surprised and take confidence in strengths that they didn't realize they had. And that's the really fun part and most pivotal at this first turn in their careers. In the final assessment, they have an opportunity to pick up frequently observed behavior and not frequently observed behavior to go out and practice in their context of leadership. They plan the context, what they hope to accomplish, and then they go out and do it and report on the learning. It is such a pleasure to read these reports and the related learning. They see firsthand the impact one behavior can have on the people and the performance of the teams. Regarding leadership as a journey and one never arrives, students learn from the combination of this experience and the modeling of the author that leadership is a journey. The author at the time in his 70s joined us virtually for about an hour and indicated he still studies leadership development for two hours a day. That left quite an impression with the students. And since then, James and Barry have published their seventh edition of the book. Students also learn that leadership is a commitment, a choice to lead in every circumstance, whether they're in a formal leadership position or not. And it takes practice and regular feedback loops. Linda, can I just break in here and underline what I think I heard you say? I'd like you to confirm it if you can. I heard you say three things here. Leadership is a journey and you're not really ever going to arrive. Leadership is a commitment, a choice that a person makes. And I'm going to guess that means you have to reaffirm it repeatedly and sometimes maybe in stressful moments. And thirdly, this is a practice, like a self-discipline and the feedback loops, the evaluation help you determine where you are in relationship to where you want to be. But this is, this is a becoming something rather than a tool that you take out of the toolbox. Am I getting this right? Yes, absolutely, Mark. The importance of that feedback loop and, and, and just feeds into self-awareness and ongoing improvement ongoing focus on the 30 behaviors, and that one never arrives. It's a lifelong commitment. For one thing, the audience that we're leading or the context that we're in changes constantly. So how we show up a leader has to continually evolve accordingly. So with the experience you had at Miller Knoll and other places, and now with what you've been doing at Hope College with this first turn kind of audience, people who are learning to lead themselves. What are you noticing, if anything, is different now in leadership development than when you began your career? Great question. Well, the good news is the five leadership practices are timeless and still important, even in the changing environment. What's different is that there is much higher levels of stress and anxiety that people are bringing to the classroom, to the workplace a view of much more global landscape than where we first started in my career, and the speed of doing business and the related need for agility, and of course, the use of technology are all the most significant changes that I can think of. Do you think of anything else? Well, I, I was thinking that probably something that you will see if you do several more of these cohorts is how does one lead where you've got artificial intelligence at play and uh, the need to know whether am I getting this from a human or from an autobot of some, some kind. But I, I'm wondering in the current moment as you're doing this work, do you have an example of a couple of these? Well, even an example of the AI, as you mentioned, 
AI is starting to be used already in mentoring and training. And when we think about it, those are often areas that we think of must having human interaction and human engagement. And so that is, that is continuing already to be a big impact. I'm glad you brought that up. I think a couple other areas, if I look, of course, technology is influenced across the whole organization in every single functional area. A couple I think of in the human resources area are things like being able to use data analytics to identify employee engagement levels, which are proven to lead to better results in an organization. And even identifying potential flight risks so that the employer can be proactive in addressing the things that lead to employee turnover. Linda Milanowski westorp and I will return to our conversation after this brief word. Research shows that four in 10 executive directors or business owners plan to exit in the next five years but half of them have no formal exit strategy. Are you an executive who wants to be proactive and develop future value, succession strategy, and legacy for you and your organization? If so, Maestro Level Leaders was designed with you in mind. This small group, peer-based leadership journey helps leaders explore, map, and implement a new season of growth, value, impact, and significance for themselves their successors, and the organization as a whole. Our next cohort is forming now. So if this sounds helpful to you or someone you know, please go to maestro-levelleaders.com and complete the form there to initiate a conversation. We look forward to hearing from you. Today, Linda milanowski westdorf a maestro-level leader cohort facilitator, recruiting her next team. She and I are discussing leadership succession and leadership development. And I don't want to make any mistake here. Leadership succession is going to involve leadership development. We can't assume that people come to us developed and ready to go. And we're not just talking about development in general. We're including the development of the person in specific. So there's their development of skill, but there's their development of themselves as a person, their resilience, their emotional intelligence, and so forth. So this gives me opportunity to ask you, Linda, in your years of being able to help architect and deliver development experiences like these across a large corporation, what were your most go-to resources? Yeah, so I think about this in two two buckets. One is how did we go about selecting the, the resources? And then what type of breadth of offerings did we provide? And I learned early in my corporate leadership experience that with Miller Knoll having a foundation in research-based design, even our human resources practices had to be research-based and validated. This was one of the leading indicators of competence in, for example, selecting the leadership challenge, which eventually became our base leadership course required by all levels of leadership. It became embedded in the culture for many years. I now encourage college students to listen and read a variety of leadership books and listen to podcasts and be aware of which ones are someone's opinions and perhaps maybe they come with great results in their context. Also know which ones are backed up with research. And as I say that, Mark, I think that had an influence on when I engaged with the Society for Process Consulting, yourself and others in the group. These are not only great practices, but they're steeped in research. 
uh, mm. both for consulting process, consulting in general, as well as maestro level leaders. So I use that as one of my key guiding principles anytime I engage with assessing whether this is a good assessment tool to use, uh, a methodology. It spreads anything relative to people and development. There's a lot of great ideas. There's a lot of great experiences that worked for somebody in a particular context. What are the principles we can take and then shape them to our own environment in order to them sure. to be relevant? Secondly, we ensured offerings across the topic of leading humans, including emotional intelligence, leading teams, and leading the business. So included assessments and self-awareness, engaged senior leaders in business simulation, and for more senior leaders, actual business challenges that they needed to solve. We engaged mentors and sponsors and also included the awareness and skills in building effective, diverse teams. And lastly, rotation recommendations and assignments to other functional areas of the company, which actually influenced my movement from human resources to research, design, and development. So let me check in on something here, Linda, because across a number of clients, when I've talked with them about the superstructure for leadership development, I've mentioned that there are three levels. And I'm wondering how you would critique that. Maybe there's something you would say, well, say it differently, Mark, or here's something that I think would also matter. I, I'm just happy to hear your feedback. Sure. To talk about, okay, your company has a brand and it has values. So there's stuff that you would expect of every person who's an employee. You might even expect this of your vendors and so forth. It'd be a way you vet them. So that you would want to see that being trained for and developed. What does anybody here need to look like, sound like, walk like? Then there is the specific role that they're in. There are expectations for being able to perform that role well. So those also would need to be developed. And then that third level, one that I think is really hard for organizations to get to unless they're deeply committed to best practice. But that is, okay, so now how do you, as an employee we value, want to develop? And here's what we're seeing that we'd like to develop in you. Let's form this partnership and your learning plan and track against that. And that that kind of stair-stepping up is, is what we're after. But would you affirm that? Would you change that in some way? What are your responses? Absolutely. The part that I would really affirm is the individual development plan is critical. So there will be across the board elements of, of leadership development. There will be very specific to me as an individual leader and to me in this particular job. I would add one more dimension to that, which would be the notion of there are skills and behaviors that are required to be at the company, as you mentioned. Then there are those competencies for even each layer. So there are certain skills that are needed at a director level. There are additional set of skills that may be a lot required at the C-suite level. And so we tended to look at sets of competencies. We, we didn't want to have a million sets of them. So we, we had maybe six different broad categories of competencies based on six different types of work in the organization from manufacturing to executive. That may be something for us to talk about further and see how we further flesh that out. I'd enjoy that. 
as we start to move toward uh, wrapping our conversation up, I'm hoping we could each tell a story of where we've seen intentional leadership development succeed. And uh, I know that you've been thinking about this and may have a couple. And I, I think, tell us both or give us the one that most inspires you, whichever you would choose. And then I'll share one of my own. Great. I have two topics that come to mind. And one is retention and the other is impact on the culture. So we launched our original two-year leadership development track with 40 leaders who represented bench strength for the director and vice president level in the organization. One key indicator that I was really excited with in its effectiveness was several years later, after I moved on to my next opportunity, we pulled the names of the original 40 participants. And there was something like 32 of the 40 were still employed and in director vice president positions. And several of them now comprised the current C-suite. And that was really exciting to me and to others. On a more anecdotal side, one of the C-suite people was at a location where my successor was training people in the next level of leaders in the leadership challenge. And he casually walked up to the table and said, what are you up to today? And she said, we're facilitating leadership challenge. And he immediately listed the five principles or five practices in the leadership challenge right off the top of his head. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, she said to me later, I knew we didn't need to change our foundational leadership when I saw it that far embedded into the organization and the culture. Wow. That's such a great illustration of a principle that matters when organizations are thinking, should we really invest in the next generation of leadership? Can we afford to do it? You sometimes run into this, well, but, you know, we don't want to waste our money or our time. We got to really zero in on the creme de la creme of our organization. And, and what I want to do is disabuse organizational leaders who think that way and, and, and help them change their minds because if they keep sowing into other people, of course, if they've sown into 500, there's only going to be one or two or five that are going to be successors. But what they'll do is they'll be blessing organizations elsewhere that will be vendors and uh, better ethical competitors, and they'll make the world flourish as a result, some of whom will actually, after they've worked elsewhere, come back, and you'll have people with really storied resumes as a result. So you you actually benefit yourself and already create future value that's just extremely abundant. And so that is a great story and illustration of that concept. For my own story, I'll point to the Credentialed Christian Nonprofit Leader. It's a professional designation, CCNL, and it's offered by the Christian Leadership Alliance. And when they established that program, I was a part of helping to write the executive leader curriculum. And now I'm watching them continue to do this on a global scale, helping people really raise their leadership development quotient in a way that you can do asynchronously or synchronously online in a global cohort. And they've been uh, helping a lot of organizations take younger and newer leaders and raise their competence as a result. And it was so fun recently because I was just at their annual conference to come in connection with people, some of whom I've only met online before, who are saying that course, this class, whatever else it was that they were learning has been so helpful. And they're eager to talk about the stories of how it's influenced their leadership. 
But, you know, at the base of all of this, if I were to take one big takeaway of helping to develop other leaders and one of the ways to navigate between like fixed and open mindsets is this question, is this person leaning in? Are they are they striking that posture of openness, leaning, ready to learn? And then you can rate all kinds of things after that. But if they're not leaning in and embracing it and even coming up against their limitations, uh, they're not going to put this stuff to play into play and they're not going to develop. I'm wondering, Linda, what you have found that is important uh, to keep in mind in the selection of a successor. And you may even have some further response to what we've been discussing as we tell these stories. I do. I have a couple things before answering that question. So maybe we want you to answer, ask it again in a minute. Uh, what's fascinating listening to your story, Mark, is this notion of leaning in and your notion of sometimes they leave and come back. We went through a period of time where some of our people were growing faster than the opportunities that they could grow into were available. So they did leave the company and perhaps became a CFO and a smaller company. And then they did come back several years later and were hired in one to two layers above where they left. And so that played out several times to the extent that there was even some sarcasm in the system that said, is that a new requirement that we leave and come back? And even is that fair? And when I looked at the people who had done that, the amount of risk that they had taken on their own careers and the transitions for their families to perhaps relocate out and back in was tremendous. And so while, yes, they came back getting paid more than when they left, they contributed at a much higher level with that experience behind them. And so one of the pieces of advice I've often given to people since I left was if we don't see somebody who's not leaning in, I just had this conversation the other day with a long-term executive. I said, when you find yourself or others not leaning in, it's time to look at why that is and assess whether it's time to go. Yes. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. The comment, I deserve this. I was here longer. Or why are you getting more than me when I've been here and didn't go and didn't leave? That's a I am not leaning in statement. It is a statement uh, where there is a resistance that there's it's a statement about entitlement. And what we need at leadership levels of organizations are people who are saying, I'm not completely formed. I never will be. I have to keep learning. I want to keep learning. Who else is doing stuff? Where's the future value located? Otherwise, we have folks who start to stall in place and the culture itself underneath them will start to unwind. And it's very difficult to jumpstart it all over again. Uh, that we often run into. So let me return to that other question, Linda, and just ask what else you have found to be important to keep in mind in the selection of a successor. Yes, it can be very tempting to start looking for someone with the skills similar to our own. We've seen the success that our skills bring to the to the role, and we get nervous about leaving that open. In reality, the outgoing leader has probably been there for a while and has addressed a lot of the areas of in his or her strengths. I found that personally that probably the best time that I had hired my successor 
with somebody that was a completely different skill set than my own. There were areas I knew needed attention, and I just did not have what it took to make those areas sing. And secondly, as you know, one must look not only to how he or she will spend their day now, rather, are there people on the team that can grow from picking up our current areas of responsibility? Then what's important with a successor is to look ahead to what leadership skills will be important for leading, for what's next in the life of the organization and future needs of the customer. Find a successor who has the skills to meet the future needs. In a recent conversation with an executive director looking toward her transition, it was so refreshing to hear her first instinct was to be intentional in the development of her current staff in her existing areas of responsibility, rather than to automatically assume she needed to conduct an external research. Linda Milanowski-Westorp. Thank you for digging into this subject with me for a while. Uh, For all of you who are listening, we're going to put some resources in the podcast notes here, things that Linda has referred to especially, and you'll just want to look for episode 73, Developing Successors. Thank you, Mark. Mark L. Vincent is an executive advisor and the founder of Design Group International and the Society for Process Consulting. I am Linda Milanowski-Westorp, a senior consultant with Design Group International and Maestro-level leader facilitator. I'm currently gathering a new Maestro-level leader cohort. So if you are a leader in your third turn, or perhaps you know someone who is, I'd love to talk with you about planning the way to and through that transition. So please reach out to us at maestroleveleaders.com. We invite your subscription to the Third Turn Podcast and welcome your sharing this resource with others. The Third Turn Podcast is on a whole host of podcast distributors and is a production of Design Group International. Josh Brinkman edits these podcasts for us and Jennifer Miller is our producer. Farewell for now. This is for grandchildren's grandchildren. <laughs>